Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. I uh, am the person running 4x400. We op- acquire, operate, and grow e-commerce brands. And this week, I am I have a, another interview episode, but this is another internal interview uh, with a much better internal guest than than say Taylor Holiday. Today, I have Rob Clemens, the third on the show. Rob, say hi to the people. Hey, people! What's up? <laughs> Oh man, Rob, you're like a full of energy person. You can't be like a little bit better than that. That was the lamest intro. Yeah, so, I get a little nervous. I get a little nervous in front of the people, uh, yeah. you know, on podcasts. I, I'm more of an in-person type of guy. So this uh, this whole po- podcast thing is new for me. Maybe maybe my energy will come out, you know, later or, you know, one day when I get to, uh, you know, when I record my own. But otherwise, yeah. This, yeah. I'm a little scared on on here. I'm not as good as, uh, as my big boss, uh, Andrew. <laughs> the e-commerce supply chain playbook podcast. That's going to be awesome when you start that podcast. Uh, uh, l- let me let me move us into the main part of the show. Rob is the director of supply chain at 4 400 I arguably has the hardest job uh, at, in our company and is a total beast. And so I brought Rob on today to talk about 31 bits, the challenge and the joy both of uh, setting up, uh, not only onboarding a supply chain for one of the new brands that we acquire, but setting up a supply chain that is ruthlessly, relentlessly focused on treating people incredibly well, caring for them, um, ethical fashion, uh, being something that we authentically care about with this brand. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right, here we are in a very special episode of the e-commerce playbook podcast with my man rob clemens uh rob how you doing i'm doing all right busy tuesday but beautiful tuesday can't can't complain love being busy rob you you are the busiest guy in the world because rob uh, as i mentioned in the intro uh rob handles the supply chain for all of our brands and uh and uh started in that job when there were less brands and now there are more brands. Uh, so we want to talk today as we kind of continue to document the 31 bits journey, this really specific aspect of the challenge and, um, and sort of beauty of this brand. It's part of what makes it so compelling. Uh, really a lot of what makes it so compelling is this issue of ethical manufacturing. Rob um, is the person really in charge of uh, at, thir- at, at uh, 4F400 of seeing all of our supply chain stuff through, which means, Rob, you have a really unique challenge um, for this particular brand because you uh, you can't just go and find some manufacturer. You uh, have to work on this whole issue of how do we actually find manufacturing relationships that really stay true to the brand's mission and message uh, and all of that. So, Maybe you could start actually, um, even before you get into the specifics of 31 bits, of just kind of describing what your job is like, particularly when we onboard a brand. So we, we acquire 31 bits the first few months for any brand we, we acquire. Like we talked about genuine callers um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And you know, even a brand like that, where it's just a little more straightforward, we already have a good leather manufacturing relationship. You still have to do a lot of work to take something that is... Uh, made that the founder has a relation, you know, has his own way of handling uh, manufacturing. In that case, he's doing it himself. Um, and you still have to f- create a manufacturing relationship there. Um, for 31 bits, it's a, it's a little bit different than that uh, for a lot of reasons. But but just like maybe start by talking a little bit about sort of the 
onboarding process for you with a, with a brand where you are looking at a brand's supply chain and then trying to figure out how 4x400 when we inherit the brand is going to uh, manufacture products? Yeah. Um, so I think it's pretty funny because we bring on these brands and for their scale, typically their supply chain, I would say is semi-broken. There's something that's still manual or still slow for them. But for the most part, you know, um, it's not too bad in their mind, right? At their scale for their, you know, almost ma and pa type e-commerce business, right? You talk about Corey, the, the recent founder of Genuine Colors, who's made own dog colors and um, it worked for just him uh, and making the colors himself and shipping them and everything was good at, you know, 20K uh, a month, right? But uh, when we actually want to scale these brands, then the whole thing is broken. Um, and 31 bits, similar thing. Some things worked and um, some things don't. But um, when we get these businesses, it's like a, it is a puzzle. But the problem with the puzzle is there's literally no, uh, no box to show what the picture really looks like. And there might be a few missing pieces, to be completely honest. So you're like, okay, well, how do I actually put this all together? Uh, and so we're kind of re really reworking the puzzle, trying to figure out what the picture is, where we're trying to go as a team, uh, and then uh, finding our like our weakest points, uh, like starting with the weakest points uh, to get us to work to where we want to go in the initial stage, and then um, and then there from building on, you know, building from there. But uh, uh, every brand presents its own challenge because every brand has, has its own, like its own weak points. Uh, you know, there's always, I think one of the biggest things to start with is at four by 400, we like to, we like to have a turnkey supplier, meaning, uh, we, you just talked about it. We have a couple other suppliers that, uh, can source raw materials for us, make a finished good and deliver it to our door and do a great job, have great product quality, uh, a great working relationship and partnerships with those, with those suppliers. Um, so for Genuine Color, we have that. We're going to go through the different product development steps and product improvements. But for 31 Bits, it's a, it's a realm we haven't been in, uh, in the jewelry space. Um, we don't necessarily have that turnkey supplier. Um, and uh, it presents its own issues because, like you said, it has to be an ethical supplier. Of course, we always try to find actually great supplier uh, partnerships no matter what and having them be ethical. But the story matters a lot for this brand. So uh, coinciding with a manufacturer that's going to do a great job in terms of the product quality side uh, and time efficiency, lead times, et cetera, but also present a story uh, and coincides with what, what the brand is in 31 bits. Uh, uh, and so um, it's kind of the, the challenge that we currently face uh, with, with the brand and making sure that uh, we can scale it, you know, scale it to where we want it to go. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Um, actually, I, I want to come back to this 31 bits issue a little bit um, because uh, it, it, or in a little bit, but actually even before uh, we did that, I wonder if it'd be helpful for people to hear a little bit. Now you've done this with a lot of brands now, like, and you've got a lot more of them. So uh, having gone through this process a number of times, what, when you're looking for a supplier relationship, can you talk in broad terms about some of the things that you're looking for? Like what, what matters to you as you go and source those relationships? Yeah, um, man, this is a great, great question. <laughs> Of course, uh, being my boss, he didn't have me prepare for this. I think this is somewhat of a test uh, for those that are going to listen to this. But anyways, I, I think um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is actually an interview for your next phrase and promotion. I don't know. No, I, I'm no, surprised. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't tell you that because, on purpose. Um, with suppliers, you're dealing with people, right? Um, this goes for anything that within our supply chain. We don't we don't physically do 
a lot of things ourselves besides uh, Bamboo Earth skincare manufacturing fulfillment. Uh, you know, shout out to Bamboo Earth for that one. But um, every other brand, um, people are doing stuff for us. Uh, and we run a small crew here. Uh, so the people matter a lot, like a whole lot, top down from who owns the manufacturing facility, who runs it, who's the CEO, or say the VP of operations there, down to who's physically gonna be on the floor making our product. Um, so I, I find that uh, phone calls, interactions, recommendations from other brands uh, out there on the market are super important because they can validate the people behind the operation, uh, validate the people that you're gonna give like your baby to, and forget your baby, just your your money to. You're gonna sink money with these people. So um, knowing that these people are good um, or have some type of validation through you know, uh, recommended partners or other brands um, is super, super important. Uh, and kind of from there, you then start to get to the nitty gritty, which you care about, which is cogs and lead times. Uh, and that's kind of where you compare different, you know, possibly different suppliers that you have once you've kind of have found some reliable partners is, okay, what are my costs going to be with the supplier? What are my lead times going to be with the supplier? You know, how much margin can I get from there and how long is it going to take them to make the product? Uh, those are super important, especially for us when we do, you know, Facebook spend, we want to know, you know, what is our margin going to be? Also our lead times are super important because if we don't have to, we don't want to carry, you know, 12, you know, to 18 weeks of inventory because the lead times are so long. If we could carry, you know, more four to eight because our lead times are shorter being, you know, say two to six weeks, uh, then it benefits, um, our business. So I would say those are probably like the three key things uh, when we start our process of finding suppliers, um, looking at, hey, the people getting recommendations, have validation of their work, the products they've made, whether it be for other brands or if they have their own brand uh, that they private label, uh, and then getting into cogs and lead times. That's so good. The, the, the human side and the lead time. I mean, the cogs thing is just kind of a not, is just a no doubter for us. I continue to think that an e-commerce like one of the reasons people fail is because they think they have like a marketing problem or, or something like that, but really they just have a margin problem because their cogs aren't good enough. Um, just the reality is that like, if you're going to spend money growing your business with advertising online, um, or even, you know, something where you think of it as sort of an organic channel, like maybe SEO, most times, unless you have built an SEO expertise, you're going to pay an agency or an expert or something like that. So functionally, you're still paying for the traffic in some way. It's just not... It's just not feasible to pay to grow uh, if you don't have good margins. So the COGS is just kind of like a baseline sort of thing. And and it's definitely one of the things that typically by the time the brand gets to Rob, he has already evaluated, uh, or excuse me, gets to Rob officially, right? Rob is in the process of evaluating brands with us to look at like, is it going to be even possible for us to manufacture at the margins that we're targeting, uh, which is, you know, 70-ish points basically landed. So um, give or take, you know, we, we recognize that at some point you might start with 65 and have to chip away to get, get uh, better margins than that over time. But, but Rob's in the process of evaluating brands for us. He's, I mean, he was looking closely at Genuine Callers and, and 31 Bits both before it ever happened. So there's that. But then the people and lead time thing is so crucial because with people, um, for both of those things, first of all, like people don't think, I think, about um, 
their vendor relationships the same way they do for, for example, their ad agency relationships. And, and I just think like one of the things with an agency on the ad side, you're all, because you're dealing with those people all the time, you're just going to vet the humans. Um, you want great partners who care and who are ethical, who treat their people well, all of those things. It's all part of it. Rob mentioned that earlier, right? Like we're already targeting ethical manufacturers just because it's the right thing to do. And because ultimately you want a good partner that you can trust. You don't want somebody who's not treating their people well. It's probably not a good reflection on their overall uh, quality as a human and, and, and the relationship you're going to get. So that's already happening. And then the lead time thing, I mean, I, I uh, posted a, a long Twitter thread the other day about how we had missed bamboo earth projections fairly significantly. And I was talking about how I was framing that in my mind and how I was thinking about that. Somebody asked me about you know, our projections in relationship to our manufacturing and inventory purchasing. And, uh, and I've wrestled with that on the podcast before. Rob, is the person whose life is the worst because of our constant misses of projections. Um, but the reality is that's just what this business is. Y- you know, um, y- if you're going to try to grow an e-commerce business really fast with paid media and other things, you're, it's going to be very hard to project your, your customer acquisition until you do it for a little while. So FC goods volume is pretty easy for us to project at this point. We don't miss by that much um, because we've now had the brand for, you know, a couple of years, we've gone through a couple of big moments, we know what's going to happen. And there's other challenges with FC goods, but it's not a projection problem, primarily. Um, whereas, you know, Bamboo Earth, which is growing really fast, and we own the manufacturing and the supply chain, uh, it's just a nightmare. So um, to, to try to do that. So anyway, when you're doing that with, with when we own the supply chain, there's some stuff that Rob can do to fix that. And uh, Rob, I'm speaking for you here a little bit. But when there's now when we're talking about other brands, we're actually dealing with a third party, fast lead times functionally turns into more leeway on missing projections or scaling when you have a big moment or, you know, when a pandemic hits and it changes the entire infrastructure of advertising prices online or whatever, Um, you know, having fast lead times really helps. Now, of course, the supply chain problems related to COVID were their own problems too. But, um, but yeah, so I just, I just love that point. And I want to dig in now a little bit more for 31 bits. Is there anything you want to say about all that, that I just said, anything you want to add to it? No, you did. A, I think you did a great job. Yeah. I think one thing here, it's funny. Uh, lead times. It, it's funny that we're talking about lead times because it's a great point with COVID lead times probably went out the door for many people. I know it did for us. Um, and so um, that that's a tricky piece kind of going into these, into the season that we are now, there's a lot of suppliers still playing catch up, uh, whether it be overseas or even within the U S uh, and also uh, the lack thereof of possibly raw materials that your suppliers are trying to source. So uh, that lead time piece right now is really, really crucial and important. It's just the reality. I mean, this is just where I, I put this, I referenced this in some places as well recently, including like an investor email that went out and some of those things, just like not everything can be a win during a pandemic. You know, it's really nice that advertising prices were great, but like, yeah, coronavirus made it challenging to get a product and that's just reality. So, uh, there you go. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just part of what everybody's dealing with right now for sure. Um, so let's talk about 31 bits. So, uh, we already, like I said, and like you said, target manufacturers that we believe are treating their people well. Um, but 31 bits is just beyond just treating your people sort of fairly. 31 bits has built its brand around investing in humans across the world. Um, it with real depth, like 31 bits include included women going and like bringing therapists to Uganda, you know, like, uh, there's so much beyond like they, they saw a domestic violence problem with some of their employees. And so instead of like, 
it didn't just mean they paid them a fair wage. It meant they went and tried to help them sort through the domestic violence problem. <laughs> like there's, there's just so much that 31 bits has done. And I think there's just, there's a reality that for us, as we take over this brand, we're going to have to engage with local communities differently than, than the founders did. Um, but, but we are going to still respect that mission and really think about this. That And partly it's, it's part of what makes the brand unique. And then partly also it, it is like, we're humans too, who care about these humans. Rob and I both uh, are people of faith and, and like this matters to us at that kind of level. So there's like a lot of layers here uh, that we could talk about where, um, where this matters to us, but it's also a massive challenge. So Rob, can you just start talking about what that challenge is like for you? Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear you reflect a little bit on what it's been like to interact with the founders on this issue as well, particularly Callie, uh, who people have heard on this podcast before as well. But just just begin to kind of talk about where you're at in this process for 31 Bits specifically. And you can speak pretty freely here. We always try to be pretty transparent. Yeah. So um, it's been a it's been a, a fun ride to say the least. Uh, and as we're trying to kind of almost revamp our supply chain, restock inventory. Uh, when we got 31 Bits, uh, they had inventory, but their top sellers were were, were exhausted, right? We didn't have any. So um, it's been, it's been definitely interesting. So one thing here is first we've, we've started with the suppliers that they currently have worked with, right? We've gone into, to brass jewelry. Uh, that's kind of where we're staying right now. That's at one point there was paper beaded jewelry, which we're still doing, but, um, it's not really where we see ourselves going. Um, so the brass jewelry is where we see ourselves going. Uh, and our current connection is in Bali, um, where Callie, who's one of the founders, has spent significant time, actually not just spends significant time, but lives there. Uh, currently, she actually is in, in Southern California because of the COVID stuff, but um, she has spent time in that manufacturing facility. Uh, it's called Plaza Bali, and uh, she has spent time with Ignatius, who runs um, that facility, uh, actually recently we posted uh, some photos that we got from our WhatsApp uh, conversation with them of just the guys all working there, uh, you know, peace signs and everything else uh, kind of saying hello. And uh, we are constantly in contact with them once a week, uh, whether it be a video conference uh, when Callie will be back there, she'll be, she'll be physically with them, being able to talk to them. Um, but they, they had found them and had really invested in the people, uh, in the uh, gentlemen working uh, in that manufacturing facility. And a lot of those guys, I mean, they're working there uh, for weeks to then go back home to uh, bring money for their families. Uh, and so um, we've kind of really invested into them. Um, but it does come with some issues uh, because they aren't really a turnkey operation. Uh, to get into some specifics for, you know, for some of you guys, this probably make no sense, but basically, uh, we've been dealing with uh, different plating issues uh, with our gold, uh, whether we go with a nano coat or a thicker gold or plate. Uh, and uh, Plasibali's had a hard time replicating exactly what we want, um, which uh, is an issue for product quality, right? We're investing in these people, but they might not be able to do exactly what we need them to do. Uh, so we kind of have to find workarounds, uh, whether it be um, using uh, existing relationships uh, for gold platers here in the U.S., uh, taking you know the raw material chain, having it uh, plated in the U.S., and then shipped to Bali so that they then can assemble and put together uh, the necklaces and put you know the pennants or pieces, whatever it may be, with that necklace. 
Um, so it definitely takes more work, right? It's, it's not our standard, hey, we have a leather manufacturer, they do all of our sourcing for us, and then they make a final good and they ship it to our door. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, uh, seven to eight suppliers to then get to our manufacturer who does uh, the assembling of all the pieces. Um, so it, it is a challenge, but it is an investment uh, in caring for the people uh, in Bali. So in the short term, how are you handling solving some of those problems? And then how are you thinking about this issue in the long term? Yeah, so in the short term, um, we're doing a lot of product development with our uh, manufacturer in Bali. Uh, we basically talk technician and go, hey, what do we have to do to support you guys to get you to where we need you to be? Uh, and they're just doing tons of product testing. So back and forth between, you know, me, Callie and, and Ignatius of different coding, different plating to get the product quality we want. So we're willing to actually be patient to like get us what we need. Um, so, um, so that's that side so that, you know, we can work with them in the long term. Um, but, you know, short term, like I said, we're using a plater here in the U.S. and letting them do a lot of assembly. Uh, even doing short-term product development with the team out there to make sure we get the product quality we need to kind of relaunch and revamp. Um, but in the long term, uh, we are doing a longer-term product development 2021 with Ignatius, but we are making sure the development we do there uh, really, really um, kind of goes with the skills that they have at our current supplier. So not trying to do something out of the box that they can't do. Uh, we're gonna go from uh, some brass jewelry uh, to some sterling silver, which they'd rather do. Uh, we're gonna go some different plating that they rather do and they have the greater expertise in doing. So trying to actually capitalize on their strengths rather than give them a bunch of product that they're not very good at doing. Um, and then as we develop our you know product portfolio, we actually are looking elsewhere to other manufacturers uh, to do those other things that we want to incorporate in our brand. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's a larger project. Uh, we're, we're seeing that it's, it's a little difficult in terms of COVID because some of these manufacturers are playing catch up uh, with their current, um, you know, clients, uh, but it's in the, it's in the works, uh, you know, so in the long term, trying to uh, play to Plaza Bali's strengths and then also find other partners that we can work with you know, places that we can invest in uh, that play and play to their strengths uh, in terms of kind of our product development and product roadmap. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how we're dealing with it short term and long term. Uh, there definitely is going to be challenges that we do not foresee. Um, but so far, things are working. Uh, they're going in the right direction. We're really excited of, of where we're headed. Um, we're able to Within the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to restock those products uh, using Plasabali, our original partners. Um, and we've, uh, we should have in a couple of weeks, too, 60 new products that we're going to look at and probably decide, you know, between 20 or 30, what are going to be a part of the, uh, part of the new product launch here uh, in October. Yeah, I, I love that. So it's just to work within what the strength of these people are because the investment there is so deep and and then to see kind of how that works with things. And then with Cali living in Bali, I think it really makes a difference for our ability to think about what the kind of investment in that community is and the storytelling around it. Um, and one thing I'll say that I hear that I really appreciate about Rob is that Rob is not a supply chain person who um, is just trying to solve his problems independent from the marketing side of things. Like, you know, Rob, you're constantly asking about like, 
you know, how's this going to fit with the customer experience? Not just trying to shave costs, but make sure it's delivered in a way that people are going to love and, and fits with all the storytelling we're doing, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so when you, as you take the step to like the, the longer term fix, how in the world do you go about trying to find manufacturing relationships where they can up where the where we can say with real integrity? Um, we are treating our people amazingly well, basically. Like that just feels like a, a I mean, it's, it's different than the initial their own bit story um, in some ways, and that's important. Uh, but uh, but you know we can tell that story as long as it's authentic still. Um, and in fact, I think as we grow the brand, it really gives us the opportunity to to treat more people better in the world, right? Like provide more jobs to more people and, and partner with more great manufacturers who who we love and invest in more communities. Um, that's one of the things I'm really excited about actually 31 Bits is that long term, it creates tons of opportunity to take the 31 Bits mission and scale it. Um, and and not just the dollars, but to scale the actual like mission. Uh, so, so yeah, so for, for all that stuff, like how are you going about possibly finding suppliers who... Uh, who can fit into that vision. Yeah, so the first way we've been doing it is just the old-fashioned way, like getting just kind of deep and dirty in research, like Google searching, LinkedIn, uh, kind of the, the ways that, you know, navigate and finding uh, different manufacturers. Um, but um, so we, and we found a couple great ones. Uh, we found one great one actually uh, in uh, Thailand and we're super excited about it. Callie's super excited about it. And uh, before, you know, we're in the first stage of seeing their products, making sure that they're good and they, you know, that they're up to par for, with what we want. Um, and then the next step would be really, you know, taking a physical visit, which um, one key thing when I was talking to Kelly and Jesse is that on these manufacturing sites, like um, typically if they're in another country, like you want them loud and clear to say on their website, like, like willing and wanting, uh, you know, clients to visit and be present on the premises at the manufacturing facility. And that's one of the things that this, that this manufacturer said. So it was like, Oh, this is a no brainer. Let's definitely start talking with them. Um, so that's kind of how we found that first one. It's just the, uh, or yeah, I found that first one is the old school way of just doing some like deep and dirty research. Um, but trying to get away from that because you know, that takes a lot of time. Um, the, the next step of kind of where we're going is, uh, we've developed a partnership with, um, uh, a SRM software called Anvil. And on Anvil, they allow you to submit RFQs on their site. Uh, and basically, you can submit you know, product details. And through their uh, platform, they have a uh, global search, like uh, procur procurement and sourcing director, uh, and uh, whose name is Dan. Um, shout out to Dan. And uh, he, he literally goes out and finds manufacturers within the U.S., and outside of the U.S. Um, that are fit into our category. Uh, they already have these manufacturers kind of listed, and what these manufacturers can do within their portfolio is bid on our projects. Uh, and all these manufacturers that they currently have are ethically sourced manufacturers. But once again, once they bid, we can go into that deeper dive of going, hey, I'll be looking at their website, you know, doing a video conference, uh, doing actual physical visit. But um, that's kind of the, the, where we've gone long-term to, to, uh, on this search for uh, more partners in this because, of course, as we, as we expand our product line and scale, we're going to want more partners uh, rather than just one. Like If we're honest with ourselves, and you know, Kelly and I talk about this all the time, is possible is a great place and we want to continue to invest in them. Uh, but 
you know, at a certain revenue point, uh, they can't be our only provider because we'll probably we'll probably break them. It won't be fun for them. Uh, so we want to keep it within their scope of what they can do. Try to build them up and see if we can get them to do more. Uh, but then not try to break their backs and make the work not fun uh, because uh, you know it's great to be an investment and pour money into it. But then overworking people, it, it really defeats the purpose. So that's kind of where we, we're headed next and uh, kind of the next steps we've taken. Awesome. So, okay, last question for you. So give me, give me your sense in this moment. Like one of the things that's happening right now is, um, is I, you know, I've been telling the story of sort of in real time where 31 Bits is at as we have taken it over and we start to try to push towards um, scale for holiday and some of those things. So from your perspective, Rob, in this moment, how does this go very well over the next few months? And how does this go very poorly from the, from the, from the director of supply chain seat? Oof, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'm going to start with the, the poorly stuff and then going well, because I'm actually optimistic that things are going to go well, but you know, you never know. So I'll start with the things that, uh, that how I could see this going poorly. Um, I mean, one of the big things here is uh, product quality issues. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest fears here now dealing with with the jewelry, uh, taking on the brand. Um, we knew that this was a possibility that uh, from their original manufacturers that uh, the product quality wasn't always good. Um, it could be, you know, uh, some, some things, some necklaces could come in, they're great. Some come in and they're poor and you don't want that from product experience for your customer, right? So that, that, that is where one place where, where it could go bad. Uh, and uh, I think we're working on things to correct that. But, um, you know, with everything going on, trying to move fast, uh, that is definitely um, a possibility. Another, poss another thing that could go poorly is um, just this search for, you know, manufacturers and partners, depending on where we want to go in terms of our product road mapping, uh, that could be a challenge. Not thinking that, not saying that we can't find them, but how long does it take to find uh those partners at what cost may it take to find those partners and the time to develop products uh, with those partners. Uh, one thing why I say that could, that's not a bad thing, but why I could go poor is because uh, knowing uh, our marketing team and just our sales team and how amazing they are, uh, they could probably grow faster than I want them to, um, which is a great problem to have, but always can be super annoying for, for the guy that does the supply chain. Um, but um, so those are the two things I think see, that I could see foresee going wrong uh, that kind of worry me uh, the most. Um, but overall, I, where I see it going well is right now the investment currently in Plus Volley, um, seeing the work that they're doing, the passion they have behind the work, the willingness to uh, correct their mistakes and get better uh, is a huge pro for us. Uh, we Callie actually just called me right before this. She was worried about the plating that they were doing. Uh, they came back. Uh, with some stuff, shipped it to her, you know, free of charge, expedited it to her. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's 20,000 times better. Uh, like they really like care a lot. Uh, and all it took was Kelly just having an honest conversation with them uh, and telling them, hey, we might have to move elsewhere if we, you know, with this product, if we can't get it done. And uh, they got it done. Uh, they're willing to execute. And so um, that that's a huge pro in seeing the investment into people and the care for people that really Callie, Jesse, and all the partners have had in those people that they're willing to work hard and do a great job for us. So it's funny that you know that investment in people has really actually turned into a huge plus in terms of for our business because people care and want uh, to see our uh, our brand succeed and our products be great. Um, also, I I think an, another 
another way this goes great is I'm actually kind of doing the bill of materials build here for this brand. And what I love about this brand, um, you know, and not all of our brands are like this. We're dealing with this issue uh, in one of our other brands for Slick. Um, but it's uh, the value to weight ratio here on 31 bits is just the biggest plus. Um, I love it, love it, love it. I can't get enough of it. Um, We've and talked so, about this before, but in simple terms, that means it's cheap to ship, right? Yes, cheap to ship, and but not just cheap to ship, but there's there's ways to navigate to make it cheaper to ship and get it to customers fast. So not just you know um, going, hey, we're going to do first class mail, but the fact that we could do um, make you know great packaging. We have some great designers, great brand people, so they can make amazing packaging. So there's flexibility for that. Uh, and then flexibility to ship it quickly to our customers. So the combination is just going to create a great customer experience. You know, the story of, you know, us investing in people to then the product that's being made that's amazing to then generating an amazing customer experience from, uh, you know, an unboxing experience plus the shipping that's going to go along. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing uh, where it goes, especially with our new products that we're going to launch here, you know, in the likes of October, November, because uh, we'll really get to, we're creating brand new products with these people and also be able to create some new packaging for those products to coincide with uh, holiday. So really exciting stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, it's, it, I just love that point you made before that. I almost kind of wish you would have ended on it. Just that, that uh, the idea that by treating people great previously to this, we're going to get great treatment back from them. It's so funny. It's just like, it's such an obvious principle in dealing with any vendor relationship that you have across. I think again, I, having been on the, on the agency side, um, uh, on the marketing side of things, like I just, I would bend over backwards for clients who treated me great. And I would be so mad. I was just like, uh, so happy when we got rid of clients who didn't treat me great, even if their work was good, you know, like, um, or if they paid well. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I would, I would just, if I liked the human, it really went a long way. There's so much value in just like being good to other people. Um, especially I think in the long, long run, you invest in people and it, and it really, um, works out for everybody. I'm not saying you should do it primarily for the financial incentive. Um, you know, you should probably do it first and foremost because it's the right thing to do and people are valuable. But uh, beyond that, um, <laughs> the, the financial incentive may still be a reason to do it. Uh, treating people great really matters. Um, so yeah, that, that works for all your relationships. Um, it is uh, the end of July right now, July 28th. Rob, what's our projected delivery date on this uh, new inventory that we're getting, the restock? Yeah, it looks like it's going to come in around August 7th. Uh, I'd say it's probably going to really restock between in mid-August. Uh, we're just going to make sure things are packed. When they come in, do a, a, a thorough product quality check and then uh, package them personally uh, here at our office, uh, you know, because it's our first run, just to make sure things are, go, are smooth and uh, going well. But uh, yeah, around early to yes. mid-August. So that's, the, that's where the, um, the Bali... Metal jewelry will come back in. That's the stuff that you've heard me talk about before. That was um, just did really, really well on our ad side of things. Um, we are in the process of building up this sort of Uganda involvement celebration campaign. I've talked about that before. That will theoretically go live on August 7th. Dates like this often get pushed back. But basically, um, we'll restock Bali stuff a week or two into that and then really push again on that in September. Um, at the same time. So hopefully come August here, we'll really start to get a sense for, can we sell the inventory that we got with the brand initially from Uganda that we won't really be replenishing, um, turn, turn inventory into cash. 
um, and, and, and give some rightful celebration to these ladies' involvement in Uganda over the long term. And then at the same time, um, uh, yeah, be able to um, really start pushing on this Bali stuff in September. And then theoretically, we'll have also new products in October, November, and then that will take us into holiday. So it'll be a busy marketing calendar through the end of the year. Um, I, I may, I may uh, give us a week or so. We'll see. We'll see how, um, we'll see how the next week shapes up. Uh, if, I, if I jump out of the 31-bit story for a little bit, we'll wait to kind of see how all this work plays out. Um, but this is just another part of what I was talking about last week, right? which is just this idea that the long-term investment uh, uh, is the thing that's really going to matter for this brand. And so we're fine with the fact that, again, I, I was just looking earlier today and seeing DMs from people going, hey, you guys haven't posted on social for a long time. Are you guys okay? Uh, is everything all right with the brand? Um, which is awesome to have from customers saying that. But um, but yeah, just going like, yep, it's it's all right. We're gonna we're gonna pause for a little bit. We will move forward um, and and start pushing hard. And so um, early August, we'll start to see some of that stuff roll out. And you you listener will hear in real time uh, how it goes. Uh, so. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for your time, man. I, I appreciate you doing this. I know that um, you're typically just sitting twiddling your thumbs at work, um, especially now that we're remote. Like I can't see you. So um, I know you're just mostly slacking off anyway. So I didn't really feel bad about asking you to do this on short notice. But um, but uh, but thanks anyway for doing it. Yeah, it's uh, this whole work, you know, work from wherever uh, thing we got going here now at 4 by 400 makes it great to watch Netflix, you know, hang with my wife and, and do less work. So I'm really, I'm really excited about this yeah. new, uh, this, this new place that we're going. Uh, I get paid to do nothing, but no, <laughs> no. Constantly changing projections to new brands in a global pandemic, I know have not made your life very difficult. So that's no, great. Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, pretty easy. So I'm no, but uh, anyways, thanks. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. And uh yeah, I hope, hope everybody enjoys this. That's it for this week on the e-commerce playbook podcast. Special thanks to Rob Clemens for joining us. Uh, as you can tell, super brilliant guy who uh, we joked around a little bit, but I could not be more thankful for Rob. He's uh, just an unbelievable team member to have. It's part of the joy of working for a 400. We just I had, a, I had a contractor actually say to me just today, um, man, you guys are so positive and so fun to work with. And uh, I just thought that was an awesome reflection of our culture. He had interacted with a few people. And um, it's true. It's a really positive group of people. Rob reflects that. And um, I just love it. So uh, as always, I would really love if you would rate and review. Starting to see a couple more of those come in. And I really appreciate that a lot. And then if you want to get in touch with me, uh, feel free to email me, podcast at 4x400.com. Or as always, reach out, join the conversation on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. I would love to talk to you. Thanks for listening.